Okay, we finished chapter five last week. Today is Matthew chapter six, verses one through four. Matthew chapter six, verses one through four. It's a New Testament book, first book in the New Testament. If you see Malachi, you haven't gone far enough. If you see Mark, Luke, John, Acts, you've went too far. Matthew chapter five or chapter six. <laughs> Keep doing that. If I say five again, you know I mean six. It's like a code word. All right. Set a timer for your sake. All right. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. So we finished chapter 5 um, last week, and there was just a ton of stuff in there, wasn't there? This is a section called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount was a sermon given by Jesus Christ to his followers, not to tell them how to be saved, but to tell them how to live because they are saved to tell them how to live in the kingdom of God with Jesus as the king. And by the way, a Christian, that's where we're living today. This is essentially an outpost of the kingdom of God. Why? Because we look to Jesus as our king. And everywhere where the king is, that's the kingdom of God because we as the king's people are living with Jesus as king of our life. And so that's what the Sermon on the Mount is. It's a, it's a sermon given teaching Christians how to live with Jesus as their king. And in that chapter 5, that was the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. It goes all the way through chapter 7. And we saw the intro and the setting. We saw the Beatitudes. And who knows what the Beatitudes, how, how we can think of that? Rose does. The Beatitudes. Great job. All right. So it's, these are the sort of attitudes you're supposed to have as a Christian. We're poor in spirit. We mourn over our sin. We hunger and thirst after righteousness' sake. All those different things were in there. And then it concludes chapter 5 with that section where Jesus keeps saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And what he's doing is he's talking about the righteousness of the religious people at the time was an external righteousness. They were thinking things like, well, the Bible says don't murder. Well, so I haven't murdered anybody. And so I'm good with God. I'm following the rules. But Jesus said, you've heard it say, thou shalt not murder. But I say to you that anybody that hates his brother has already committed murder in his heart. So what Jesus did in that last section of chapter 5, he said, the Ten Commandments, the law, the Bible, it's not only dealing with what we do on the outside, it's dealing with the thoughts and intents and the motives in our heart. And we would call that section, we could call it, you know, true righteousness, I guess, because Jesus was setting forth what true righteousness is. True righteousness is not just to have an external show of religion. It's to have an internal heart that's transformed and transforming by Jesus Christ himself. Now, he begins this new chapter, which begins a new section in the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 6 divides easily into two subjects. And I want to show you these. There's an outline here. I'm going to just kind of break it down so you can get your bearings. Okay, chapter 6 divides into two subjects easily. Verses 1 through 18 how we do our spiritual disciplines. And the second one, verses 19 through 34, how we use our wealth. So those two sections are found in chapter 6. And if you like to mark in your Bible, I like to, so I get the, you know, uh, I like to break things up into sections. I mean, the Bible's a big book. I like to get the ideas in little bite-sized chunks, right? Now, the section... Uh, chapter 6, verse 1 through 18, Jesus begins that section with a thesis statement. Does anybody know what a thesis statement is? It's like a subject statement, kind of, right? 
um, he'll make one little statement in verse 1, and then in verses 2 through 18, he's going to use three examples to illustrate that thesis statement. Let me show you. Verse 1 says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now that is the thesis statement of chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, that section that was called, you know, spiritual disciplines, how we do our spiritual disciplines. So the heading of that is, take care that you don't do your charitable deeds to be noticed by men, because then you don't have any reward from your Father who's in heaven. That's the thesis statement. Now, he's given that thesis statement, and you remember I said that he was going to give three examples then that illustrate that thesis statement. Thesis, thesis, thesis. (laughs) That's a fun one to keep saying over and over. These examples are as follows. Verses 2 through 4, the example of giving. Verses 5 through 14, the example of praying. The example of fasting found in verses 15 through 18, number 3. So three areas that well-meaning Christians are very tempted to end up doing to get noticed by others. And so he's going to go through these three, and he's going to give examples that illustrate that thesis. Don't do your charitable deeds to be seen by men. So that's where we're going today. We're only going to look at verses 1 through 4, and we're going to focus on giving. Now, I want to make a little disclaimer here. If this is your first time here or second time here, at Calvary Chapel Mason City, we do not harp on money. When I got into ministry, I committed with, I was never going to do fundraising tactics. I don't do anything like that. I've never done it. We've never, we've never passed an offering plate here. We've never asked anybody for money directly, nothing like that. We've put the needs up and let people minister to them, but we never ask about money. So who's been here since the very beginning? Rebecca, uh, Joyce, yeah. How many times have you ever heard money taught? right? Three, five, maybe. Here's how we deal with it. We go verse by verse by verse through scriptures. And when we get to a section that deals with it, then I teach about it. And, and I'll tell you what, God has sustained this church above and beyond what we could ever imagine through the generosity of people giving without me saying a word about it. And so I want to say that before we get into a giving message, because um, that's a big turnoff for a lot of people. And I understand that, the more spiritual you become, you understand giving is not a turnoff at all. In fact, it's an act of worship. It's a beautiful thing. But for the sake of apologizing for all the frauds on television that are always asking for money, that stuff is a disgrace to the body of Christ. And, and you know, as a representative of Christ, I want to say sorry that you had to be tarnished by all that TV evangelism and all that garbage. That's not the heart of Christ whatsoever. So all that to be said with, we're going to teach a message about giving today. We're going to talk about giving. Okay, so since God warns about giving to be seen by man, we should instead give in a way that pleases God. And we can do this by three things. Number one, receiving a warning from Jesus. Number two, learning from a bad example. Number three, applying a good principle. Uh, Verse one is receiving, learning, and then applying. You see right there, that's the outline for today's message. So let's pick it up, verse one. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, 
Do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Father, as we get into your word, we ask that you would make it speak to us, Lord, by the power of your spirit, beyond the words of a man. Would you speak to us by your spirit? Would you speak to the things that we need? Would you tell us the message that you have for us? God Almighty, please talk to us through your word today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Where he says, take heed. Now, it could be translated, beware or watch out. Now, Jesus is operating in the office of prophet right here. Here's what I mean. Prophets, as you know through the Old Testament, what a prophet does is a prophet warns God's people that they are on a bad path and that something bad's going to happen. That's generally what the prophets do in the Old Testament. And Jesus operates, as you know, as uh, you know, prophet, priest, and provision, right? He's, he holds all those offices. And here Jesus is operating as a prophet. Here's a statement I heard one time that I think is interesting. Maybe you'll grab a hold of it. Priests comfort the afflicted. Prophets afflict the comfortable. See, that's what Jesus is doing here. And when he says, take heed or beware, you can be sure that the complacent followers would have started listening right then. They would have been like, wait a minute, he's going to give us a warning. And so that's what Jesus is doing here. Beware that you do not do your charitable deeds, good deeds in the NLT, or ESV has it more accurately, I believe, where it translate this, translates this as your righteousness. Do not do your righteousness. Weist, in his Greek translation, says your right acting. In other words, what this is getting at, Jesus is saying, essentially, don't do your Christianity Don't do your religious spiritual disciplines, your religious behaviors. Don't do them so that men see them, right? The the problem is, is look at there in verse 1. It says, to be seen by them. That's the problem. The problem isn't that, you know, I give. The, The problem isn't that I pray. The problem isn't that I fast. The problem would be that I do this to be seen by other humans, okay? Jesus says, don't do that. That's kind of the key word in section, uh, in verse 2 through 18, the to be seen by them. Look at verse uh, 2. See where it says, to be seen by them? Now look at uh, verse 5 when he's dealing with praying. And when you pray, you should not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners. There's the word. That they may be seen by them. Right? And look at verse 16 when it comes to talking about fasting. Moreover, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites with sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they, or there it is, that they may appear to men to be fasting. That's the problem there, is doing Christianity purely to be noticed by others. Right? It's hypocritical is what Jesus says here. And he goes on to say, um, otherwise you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now, there's an implication of this so far, right? One thing that it tells you here is that God sees the motive of your heart, right? Don't do this to be seen of men. This tells you right here that God sees why you are doing the things that you're doing. Now, 
that's terrifying to some. It's comforting to others. But God sees nonetheless everything. Now, where he says, otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, this is not talking about salvation. I want to get that across right away. He's not talking about salvation here. He's talking about um, rewards that are promised to believers for doing good works as God's children. I don't know if you know, it's called the doctrine of rewards. You can look through the Bible. There are all kinds of verses that talk about how essentially God is going to reward believers for the things they do truly motivated by his love for them. Like if if I'm so moved by God's love for me that I want to give my life to him to follow him and I do things then because I'm motivated by that love, God says he's actually going to reward people for that in heaven, right? Now, I know there are Christians out there that say, I'm just in it because I love Jesus. I don't care about the rewards. Yeah, you're spiritual, I know. (laughs) But, and it's maybe true to some degree, but Jesus incentivizes people with it. In fact, the very last verse of the Bible has to do with Jesus coming with rewards, right? If you've read the very last verse of the Bible. So that's what he's talking about here. If you live this sort of Christian life, where your biggest concern is having everybody think that you're spiritual because they see what you're doing, well, you don't have any reward from God for doing that. There's no, you know, God looks at that and just says, you know, whatever. I just, I'm going to look right over that. Okay. So the warning, that's the thesis statement for the whole section. He's warning about how you would be giving, how you would be praying, how you could be fasting. It can apply to other things too. It could apply to singing. It could apply to teaching, you know, whatever. Now, We do well to heed this warning because it's a great temptation for a believer to do things to make other people think that we're more spiritual than we are. It's a great temptation, right? God forbid you start becoming known as the person in the church that's, you know, the one that prays all the time. And so every time somebody asks you to pray, you stand up and you just dominate the whole prayer meeting. Nobody else gets to pray but you because you are just the one that just goes at it, right? Or God forbid, you know, forbid that you get to be known the one that's generous and people start knowing you as the generous person in the church. And humans have this tendency of being able to um, make people think they're more spiritual than they are, right? And this is, you know, I'll tell you, you know, the other morning when I started my prayer meeting, way before the sun came up, after about three hours, my butt started to hurt when I was sitting in my prayer closet. You see how I'm doing it? I'm making myself seem more spiritual than I really am. You know, and it's phony. Um, Some people dress up in robes to make themselves seem different than the people that come to the church somehow or another, you know. We've got our, all of our religious, you know, as Tozer would call it, claptrap. I don't know of a better word for it than that, right? And people love to distinguish themselves. You know, some people will make sure you don't call them by their first name. Make sure you call them doctor or reverend, you know, making sure that we know just how spiritual that you are. Now, so this is a good warning, right, as a Christian, especially you start getting attention for a certain thing. We all want attention. Start getting attention for something. Oh, this guy's a prophet. Oh, everybody goes to him and he's, you know, be careful. Now, We're wise to receive the warning. Now, Jesus will confront the first area that the believer can be tempted to seek attention, and that's in giving. So let's look at number two. Uh, Let's learn from a bad example. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, now he's talking about money in this section. When you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. Okay, first of all, He says, therefore, when you do a charitable deed, 
Notice the assumption. The assumption there is that Christians will do charitable deeds, right? Because he, he just says, notice when you do a charitable deed, he's assuming they will. Giving was a serious part of Jewish life, right? Very serious part. In fact, it was so serious that they had to make rules eventually that you couldn't give more than, you know, some rabbis made rules you couldn't give more than 20% of your income because people were giving so much to the poor that they could put themselves in a bad situation. It's pretty interesting. It was a big part of their culture. And Jesus, of course, expects his followers to be generous just the same. Uh, notice, you know, through the rest of this section, he assumes that people pray. He assumes his followers fast. Godly people give, pray, and fast. Now, he says, don't sound a trumpet before you. Now, this is a figure of speech, but, you know, can you imagine? The J.B. Phillips translation is funny. He says, don't hire a trumpeter, you know, to make an announcement for you. So it's like, hey, I'm going to bring a gift to the church. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come and, you know, put a big check in the box this week. And so I hired my buddy. He plays the trumpet, <laughs> and he's going to go before me. And I'm going to walk up like, <laughs> golf check. <laughs> Yeah, look at my big, huge check. I don't think it's literal. I think he's, it's hyperbole. It's a figure of speech that he's using. It kind of makes you think of the 4th of July, right? Like there's a parade tomorrow. And when you go to that parade, you're going to see a bunch of people driving floats. And, you know, it's fun and it's festive and it's a good time. And we're all having a good time. But there also is the motive in there of sponsoring a float for my business to be advertised, right? Oh, I love this guy. He threw a bunch of candy out at my kids, and now he wants to sell me insurance. Great, you know. And that's what it is. And there's, it's, there's gala and all that stuff going on, right? And that's what Jesus would be saying is when you, you know, with your spirituality, with your giving, don't put it on parade in front of other people. Don't, don't do that. Because if you do, you don't have any reward from your Father in heaven. Now, you don't have to necessarily sound a trumpet before you to get attention for giving. You can do it very subtly, right? Some people are very good at it. He says, don't do this. Look at what goes on there. He says, as the hypocrites do. It's important to understand what a hypocrite is. The Greek word hypocrites means one who wears a mask. That's simply all it means. Don't be like those who wear the mask. What sort of mask were they wearing? Oh, I'm so spiritual in my giving. I give so much. I'm so generous. Well, that's the mask. You know, I love God so much that I give everything to God. Well, that's the mask. Really what's going on in the heart is, I give so much that I hope that you think I'm spiritual, right? So they're hypocrites is what Jesus would say. Now, no doubt they did good works and a lot of them, but the motive was wrong. The motive was wrong. And he says going further that they did it in the synagogues and in the streets. Now, synagogue was just like where the Jewish people met and had a church service essentially. So in the synagogues, um, it's... There's some evidence to say that when there was, you know, somebody got, brought a big con contribution, that they made announcements to the whole synagogue. You know what I mean? It's like um, bringing somebody up in the front and saying, oh, you know, I got, there's five people in here tonight that are going to give $1,000, and the Lord put this on my heart, and, and you're going to do it. And they bring them up in the front of the place, and, you know. And so not only were they doing it in the synagogues, but out in the streets also. So everywhere. These people that Jesus is talking about, these religious rulers, these Jews at this time, this religious establishment, this is the kind of heart they had behind their giving.
They wanted each other to pat each other on the back in the church, and they wanted to go out in front of the poor people on the street and seem like they were so religious. I remember a church one time that I uh, used to attend, and in their bulletin, they printed the dollar amount every week of how much offering was taken in. And I was like, man, that just, I don't know, maybe it just struck me wrong because it's kind of like a carnal motivation, you know, in a way. It's kind of motivating people carnally, right, by their flesh. Like, here's how much we made this week from all of you giving to God. Let's advertise it in the bulletin because it's a subtle way of manipulating people too, right? Because they can look at that number and then the guilty people will feel guilty they didn't give more, you know what I mean? And it's, it's a subtle way, at least in my mind, of, of manipulating people. But Jesus, you know, is saying something different. It makes you think of the people you see on Facebook posing for a picture when they make a donation to the Hawkeye Harvest Food Bank. You know, they'll have their whole stack of like, you know, cans and stuff like that or their back of their truck all filled up. And here's the pastor that maybe hasn't read this passage or something, standing up there like shaking hands, posing for his Facebook. And you wonder, do you like, do you teach topically or do you go through the Bible and read that Jesus says exactly not to do this? Like, who doesn't get what Jesus is saying here? It's simple, you know? And I can't judge anybody's heart, but I can tell you that rubs me the wrong way personally. As you know, at Calvary Chapel, every time we do a good work, the one thing that we always make sure to do is we tell the people, don't send us anything, don't put our name in your newsletter, don't do anything about it. Why? Because I don't want to lose our reward in heaven, you know? I don't want to be noticed by man for the things that I'm doing. Part of my evil flesh does. (laughs) But as I walk by the Spirit and as I learn what Jesus says, I know the Spirit doesn't, you know, in the Spirit, I don't want to have man give me any credit for anything that I do for this church. He says that they do it, that they may have glory from men. That's one of the biggest hang-ups in a person's spiritual life. More concerned about pleasing man than pleasing God. That they may be honored and recognized and praised by men. So at this point, you might be asking, what about, you know, back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, right? Where it says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your God who is in heaven. Well, how do these two things jive, right? If in Matthew 5, 16, it says, can you close that door all the way, please? I can hear it. That's okay. Um, How do we square that with what's said in Matthew 5, 16. He says, do your works so that men see them and they glorify your your Father in heaven. Well, it's interesting. The word in Matthew 5, 16, where it says that they may see your works and glorify your Father in heaven, that's actually the same Greek word that's translated glory in our passage here. Right? Pretty interesting. Ancient writers, what they would do as a literary device is they would put words that would cause attention. Right? So Jesus was saying there, do your works in a way where God's glorified. Don't do your works in a way where you get glory from man. And those two words are in tension together. Right? Listen, the difference between the two things is the motive. If I am being salt and light and I'm concerned about pleasing Jesus and I'm living my life in a way where I'm salt and light and I'm worshiping him, people, the byproduct 
of that is people are going to look at my life and they're going to see God's handprint all over my life, right? You know how that is. Somebody might come up to you and just say, wow, you know, the, the work of the Lord's really, I can really see the work of the Lord in your life. And you might say, I don't know, man, I'm a mess. I don't even get it. Here's the whole thing. People are seeing the work of the Lord in your life because you're being salt and light and you're not seeking the attention of man, but you're rather trying to please God. And the byproduct of that is then people start glorifying God who's in heaven because of your salt and light life, right? You say, uh, you know, I wonder how that, uh, you know, you know, could be possible. Well, that's how it's possible is you just live to please God and then people as a byproduct, they, they glorify God as a result of your life. He says, assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. That's the sort of language off of ancient business receipts there, paid in full, right? Surely, I say to you, they have their reward. If I'm going to give something to the, to the poor, to the church, to charity or something like that, and if I get the congratulations of man on that, I've had my reward, is what Jesus says. So you can decide how you want to invest today. I don't know, you're shopping around for a savings account Uh, 0.5% is like the going rate right now for interest rates on savings accounts. Not too great. But you can either invest in something earthly or you can invest in something eternal. That's what Jesus is saying here. How do you want your reward? Do you want your reward to come from a pat on the back from man? Or do you want your reward from God who is in heaven, who sees in secret, who knows your motive? That's what Jesus is getting at. I love Jesus, by the way, because he just has a way of cutting through all the phoniness of religion. I love that. That's so appealing to me. Thank you, God. Think about this. As humans, we get very clever, um, you know, trying to get noticed for our good deeds. And um, when you give, just, just don't advertise what you're doing, you know. Don't sound a trumpet before you. Go out of your way to make sure people don't see. That's why we, that's why we don't pass the plate, because we don't want to set you up to lose your reward, right? Plate going around and everybody's looking at each other. You're going to put money in there? I don't have any money to put in there. Oh, well, yeah. Oh, wow, you put, you put $1,000 in there? Whoa, come sit up in the front here. Oh, let me shine your shoes. Jesus just cuts through all that nonsense, right? He's the real deal, man. He's the real deal. Oh, God, I love him. So the bad example, giving to get attention. Now, verses 3 through 4, here's some good principles to apply. But when you do a charitable deed, again, assuming you will and that you do, do not let your left hand know what your right hand's doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. So, again, hyperbole, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Have you ever tried to do something where you were going to, like, leave your hand out of it, one of them? Like, hey, just, you know, I'm going to do something over here you get. Oh, he found out. <laughs> He's always finding out what the right hand's doing. I can't really separate the two. If you see somebody at the offering box back there with one hand, like they're like a matador, like, like what are you doing? Like, I'm trying to keep my left hand out. No, it doesn't work like that. It's hyperbole. It's a figure of speech, right? He's just saying, just make it with no pretentious display. Just don't give in a way where you're trying to get attention from people. That's what he's giving. That's what he's doing again. And notice this when he says even your, your hands. I think it goes further than even getting attention from man. Is he's saying, don't even pat yourself on the back for giving. You know what I mean? Don't, don't sit at the end of the day and go, you know, I've been doing a lot better. I think, you know, a lot of people fall into this trap that don't know God so well. That they think um, that he's kind of, they think God is like cause and effect. 
Like if I'm good, God will do good things in my life. If I'm bad, God will do bad things in my life, you know? And so they'll do stuff, for instance, when like a tragedy happens or something. They'll start giving to the Lord. They'll start being like, you know, I got to get my life together. And they'll be patting on their back, themselves on the back for all the stuff they've been doing. And then when God doesn't come through as they want God to, now they're mad at God. And God would say to you, you were just giving to get and you were patting yourself on the back the whole time. That's not how I work, right? And people pat themselves on their, back, on, the, on their own back for giving all the time. And they think, well, Jesus, you owe me now. You, I mean, I can show you my checkbook and show you how much I put in that box, man. You owe me something. God, I've given my life to you. You owe me, right? I'm a pastor. I teach every week. Don't, don't, you owe me something, right, God? No. How is this possible? Matthew 25, verses 34 through 40. This is an example of how this is possible to not let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. The king will say to those on his right hand, Jesus talking about judgment, come blessed to my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. You remember this? I was hungry, you fed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was homeless, you took me in, right? Paraphrasing. And then Jesus will say, come and be blessed in the heaven. You did all these things. And they'll say, when did we do these things? You guys remember that passage? When did we do these things? They'll say, well, when you fed the, the person in need, you were doing it unto me. When you clothed the person that was naked, you were doing it unto me. But these people apparently didn't even know. So when did you see me doing that, Jesus? So apparently it is possible to do your giving in a way, to live your Christian life in a way, to where you don't even, you're not patting yourself on the back for it at all. You're just doing it as a natural response to God's love, right? The most natural thing to do in response to love is to love back, isn't it? That's what true Christianity is. If you, if you want to know what true Christianity is today, it's God loves you. Now you respond to that love. Simple as that. Why are you here today? I really hope it's a response to God's love in your life. I really hope so. Why do you study God's word? I really hope it's a response to God's love in your life. Why do you pray? I really hope it's because you love being able to talk to your heavenly father. You see what I mean? It's all about a response to his love. That's, that's what it is. I deserve death, but you died for me and saved me. How could I do anything but give my life to you? Right? That's true Christianity. I just want him to know it's for him. What's the Bible say about rewards, this subject here? I'll just talk briefly about it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid. Paul talking about living your life and building your life upon the foundation of Christ. He goes on and he says, um, If anybody builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it. In other words, there's a judgment day coming for all people. And when that judgment day comes for Christians, it's not to judge you for your sin. Your sin's already been judged at the cross. But there is what's called the Bema Seat coming for Christians. And it's, it's kind of the place like in the Olympics where they give out the trophies, right? And the Bible teaches this doctrine that all Christians will stand at the Bema Seat of Christ. And all the works that I've done in my life are going to be judged, according to Paul, like by fire. And whatever passes that judgment, I'll be rewarded for. But whatever doesn't will be burnt up. I'll still go into heaven. It goes on to say that. Uh, it says, um, because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. 
If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved as through fire. Right? So in other words, I might be a Christian, and I might do a whole bunch of things for Jesus Christ my whole life, and then when I die, I go to the Bema Seat of Christ, I get judged for my works, and all these things I did for Christ, I'll be rewarded for. There also is the possibility that as a Christian, I could do a whole bunch of selfish things the rest of my life and think that they're for Jesus, but then when they're judged, they'll be burnt up and I'll still go into heaven, although I'll experience some sort of loss. I'll be like, hmm, I wasted my life doing things selfishly to be noticed by man with the wrong motive, and here I don't have any rewards. It says that you'll still go to heaven, which, you know, he himself will be saved, yet as though through fire. So, what this means to you is you have an opportunity now to do things in the name of Jesus Christ that God will reward you for in eternity. That's a great savings account right there. Now, well, boy, I think when I'm making these messages that they'll be shorter. What else does the Bible say about rewards? 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10. Uh, Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the Bema seat that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. It's reiterating the same point. Then the last verse, you know, in the last chapter of the Bible, um, well, it's Revelation 22, 12. He says this, Jesus says, And behold, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. So the Bible talks about this doctrine of rewards all over. I'll tell you what, I am so blessed by Jesus to have the wife that I have. Because my wife wants to, I hate to elevate my wife. I'm not trying to elevate her, okay? She's not out here. So don't tell her I was saying good things about her, for goodness sake. But she wants to live for heavenly treasures. I don't have a wife that's like, we need all this material stuff and all that stuff. You know, praise God, right? But we can both live this life of where we, we don't look at it. That this isn't it. This is like a blip of time. And I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus. And I want to take everything I can now and I want to invest it in eternity, right? And you can do the same thing. You can, you can use this life now to invest in eternity, right? It's a beautiful thing. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for allowing this. I mean, for him to allow us to take part in this. So the good principle that we're to learn from, give to God not caring if anybody sees. Now, in conclusion, I want to talk just a little bit more about giving. So we're going to talk about some other verses. It's kind of a little topical study about giving because there's a lot of confusion in the body of Christ about um, giving. Okay, so you'll hear Christians talk today about tithing, right? And they'll say, well, I don't tithe because I'm a New Testament Christian, and tithing is part of the law, right? Now, I used to believe that, that tithing was part of the Mosaic law until I studied it and found out that tithing was actually before the law. Does anybody remember um, who the first person to give a tenth was in the Bible? Does anybody remember that? Abraham. Who did he give it to? Melchizedek. What's that name, right? Sounds like a dude cutting records. Melchizedek. (laughs) What? Melchizedek, the priest of Salem. Abraham came out and gave him, after a battle, he gave him a tenth of the spoils. Who was the next person to give a tenth? Ah, Jacob, right? When Jacob is fleeing from Esau, he lays his head down in a place on a rock as a pillow, and he has a dream of angels ascending and descending. He wakes up the next morning, and he goes, surely God is in this place. And he says, you know what? If you'll be my God, 
I'll give you a tenth of everything I have. And I'll tell you, the accounting department in heaven just erupted. Yeah, we'll get 10%. No, say, you know, it's, you're not doing God a favor, but Jacob gave a tenth. So the point I'm making is tithing goes before the Mosaic law. So don't be too quick as a New Testament Christian to say, I don't believe in tithing because it's a Mosaic law principle. It's not a Mosaic law principle. It was codified in the law and continued out, but it's been ever since the beginning, right? As far as we know. Now, another way you should look at tithing. People think of tithing, tithe means tenth, by the way, okay? Tithe, tenth. A lot of people think of tithing as giving a gift. Now, that is another misunderstanding. When you tithe, you're not giving a gift to God. You're actually giving God what he says belongs to him already. In fact, let me read Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. See, in Malachi, the Israelites had completely perverted the worship of Yahweh by this point of God. And what they were doing is they were making offerings with beaten down, broken animals. And, you know, you've read Leviticus. You're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to bring the best animals. They were bringing the blind and the lame. They were bringing the, the three-legged, um, you know, bull named Lucky, you know, and like they're, you know what I mean? The, the one-eyed sheep and, you know, stuff like that. Just the cast-offs they were bringing to God. And God said, don't even bring any more. This stuff's a stench. You're missing the whole point, right? And then about the tithes, listen to what the prophet Micah, or Malachi, I'm sorry. Uh, listen to how God speaks through him. He said, well, man robbed God, yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? And then God answers, in tithes and offerings. See, when a person doesn't bring their offering, the Bible says, God says, that you're robbing him of what belongs to him, right? Now, I'm not putting this trip on you guys because I don't live by these same principles, okay? I want you to know that, by the way. Aaron and I, you know, although we're in ministry, we live by these same principles, right? You say, isn't that kind of weird that you're in ministry and you live by the same? Yes, it's not weird at all. We live by these principles too. So I don't want you to think I'm, you ever see Creflo Dollar? Phoniest preacher you're ever going to see is <laughs> Creflo Dollar. Anyway, he's like, uh, tither, get shot. You know, I wish we had a firing line out back so we could just shoot people down and don't bring in the tithe. Like, what? I mean, seriously, YouTube, tither, get shot by Creflo Dollar. And you'll see it, phony as it gets, right? That stuff is phony baloney, man. But I will tell you that Malachi speaking as a prophet of God says that when you don't bring the tithes and offerings, you're robbing God of what belongs to him. See, I look at the money that comes into my life as God owns everything. God owns everything, even the breath that's in my lungs. And you're like, man, there's a lot of it. These guys said like 3,000 words so far. He owns even that. He owns my heartbeat. He owns my fillings. He owns every one of the hairs on my... Ah. So that's how a Christian should understand the tithe, okay? Now, Pastor Chuck points out, he says there's a lot of these super spiritual Christians that'll say, oh, I'm not into Old Testament tithing and all that stuff. I'm a New Testament giver. Okay, great. How about in the book of Acts when everybody was selling everything they had and distributing it to the poor? How about when he told the rich young ruler... Go sell everything that you have and your reward will be great in heaven and distribute it to the poor. So if you're more of a New Testament giver, great. And Pastor Chuck jokes, he goes, you know, I've never found one New Testament giver yet, if you put it like that, right? So understanding the tithe. More points about giving. 
God looks um, for sacrificial giving. 2 Samuel chapter 24. Let me, uh, if you want to turn there, you can. Let me tell you some, uh, what, you know, about sacrificial giving from 2 Samuel chapter 24. King David had committed a terrible sin. He had an illegal census done on the people. Um, God punished him for it. And what David was going to do was he was going to um, get right with God and he was going to worship. But he needed an altar and he needed to build an altar on a piece of land. And so what he does is he goes to this guy named Aruna, right? You guys familiar with the story? Aruna the Jebusite. And he goes to Aruna and he wants his threshing floor, the place where he processes grain. And he says to him, uh, Aruna goes, King David, why are you here? You know? And he says, I need to build an altar. I want your threshing floor. So I'm paraphrasing, okay? So Aruna says, no problem, man. Just take my land. Just take it. You can have my land, build the altar, and you can even have some of my animals to offer as an offering. And then this is what King David says. The king said to Aruna, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. Right? David, the principle here is, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Now, people are trying to do this all the time. They're saying, I'll serve, I'll serve God so long as it's convenient for me, right? I'll serve, serve God so long as it fits into my schedule. I'll, I'll give to God so long as I can get all my other stuff taken for, care of first. I'll give him the scraps. I'll give him the cast off. David says, no, I will not give something to God unless it costs me something. That's worship, right? That's what it means to worship. Okay, now, so sacrificial giving. Also in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 12, Jesus is sitting by the treasury at the temple and he's watching all these wealthy people come up and throw their money into this. Um, their offering box was like, you know when you go to the mall and you put in the quarter and it goes around the tornado thing? And then you grab it at the end and you go off? No, you don't do that because you're generous. You know those things though? They were kind of like that, made out of you know, you know gold and hammered but what was the common practice was for you to, you know, if you were going to give a lot, you'd come up and you'd kind of throw it in there so everybody could hear it hitting there, right? And Jesus is watching that happen at the temple one day in Mark chapter 12. And then, so all these wealthy people coming up and throwing their stuff in there. And then this widow comes up and she has the equivalent of, you know, one penny, like two halves, two quadrants, right? Two halves of a penny, uh, you know, each half. And she comes up and puts that in there. And Jesus said to his disciples, he goes, you see that widow? She's given more than all those other people. Why? Because out of their abundance, they gave. But she's given out of her poverty, right? Now, that's not a command to be sacrificial. But what it is, is it's indicative of how Jesus sees giving. He understands what sacrifice is. If you make a million dollars a year, you might come in here and put a thousand dollars in the box, and all of us poor folk might go, whoa, somebody put $1,000 in the box. Hallelujah. But to the guy that makes a million bucks, that's, you know, whatever. But if there's $10 in there from somebody on Social Security, man, that's a different story. And Jesus sees what's going on in your heart. So God's about sacrificial giving. He's also about spiritual giving. Um, you know, in Galatians, that verse where it says, um, God will not be mocked, a man will reap what he sows, that's dealing with giving, right? Let me read it to you. 
Galatians 6, verses 6 through 10. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. There's a plug for sharing the word with the church to pay, you know, for pastors. Right there, it says in Galatians. I'm not saying that because I want your money. I'd keep your money, you know, give it to God. That's not my point here. But in Galatians, that's what Paul is talking about. And then verse 7, he says, Do not be deceived. God's not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will uh, reap, um, shall reap everlasting life. Then he says, Don't let us grow weary, for if in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Uh, therefore, as we have an opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. So that whole passage is about giving, actually. Uh, don't grow weary, you know, in doing good in due season you'll reap. Two principles there. Money spent on the material world is good. It's good to have clothing. I mean, I'm really glad you do. Glad you're not showing up here without clothing. Um, good thing. Good to have food. Good to have a roof over your head. But just understand, those things don't yield anything spiritual. There's no eternal. But those who give money into the work of the Lord, they give to the poor in his name, they give to the spreading of the gospel, the teaching of the word of God, that's putting in your, you know, giving to missions like Voice of the Martyrs, things like that. God is saying that there's a spiritual consequence of that. So, And then the principle, too, don't grow weary. There's a lot of stuff to give to as a Christian. You know, there's a lot of causes to be involved with. But Paul would say, don't grow weary of that. Don't, don't get burnt by it. You know, you can't outgive God as clear as the Bible makes it very clear. You know, if you're a person that's generous, you know, God's, he keeps supplying, you know. And that's just the law of giving. God's also into consistent giving. 1 Corinthians 16, 2, uh, Paul teaching the church the principle of taking an offering. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. Um, and so that's 1 Corinthians 16, 2. And then let me close. Well, there's two more points. A law of giving uh, right here, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Paul talking about giving says, But I say this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So if you're stingy, you know, life is stingy, right? But if, you're, if you sow bountifully, if you give bountifully, then you'll receive bountifully. Now, that doesn't mean if I put $100 in the box, God gives me back $1,000. Like, that is the most immature understanding of Christianity. But believe it, there are people that think like that. They, you know, prosperity, health, and wealth teachers have taught that false doctrine that you sow this seed of faith and God's going to bless a hundredfold. It says right there, a hundredfold. So that means, you know, take your gift times a hundred. No, that's not what that means. You know, it's twisting the scriptures. Uh, then cheerful giving. Now here's the last point I'll make. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Let each one of you gives, uh, give, let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. The NLT words it nicely. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Like, don't let people manipulate you into giving, right? Don't, if you go to a church and you feel like you're getting manipulated and pressured, this verse says don't, don't give in that context, you know what I mean? If you're watching, you know, Christian television and it's, you know, putting fear in you to give? Nah. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. 
don't give because anybody's manipulating you ever, right? Don't give under compulsion. Give because you're cheerful about it because you want to give. The King James says God loves a hilarious giver, right? That's an interesting word, but God loves it when somebody's um, really stoked about it. So in conclusion, um, you can see the motive behind what we do is really important to Jesus. We're going to go to the Lord's table now. And uh, Craig, I would ask, if, could you help hand out this stuff? And Mike, would you be willing to as well? If you two gentlemen would just hand out the elements. Uh, Stevie and I are going to sing another song. And, um, you know, hopefully this has uh, spoken to us. You guys can go ahead and come up and, and start going at it. Jesus is very concerned in what's going on in our hearts. He's really concerned that we live a, a genuine um, life with him. And if you're wondering how to do that, it's to respond to the cross. It's to understand, first of all, that God says that we're sinners, that we've broken his laws, that we have fallen short of his glory, we've lied, we've cheated, we've stolen, we've done things that are sinful. And we agree with God in that, and we admit that to God. Then we know in the scriptures that it says, because God so loved the world, he sent his son, that whosoever would believe in him would not die for the penalty of their sins, but they would receive everlasting life. See, I'm guilty before God because I've sinned, but God sent his son for all the guilt in God's eyes of that sin as the judge is put on Jesus Christ on the cross. All of my guilt has been judged on him. And now God says, if I will just believe in what's been done there, that I'll be saved. He'll allow what happened at that cross to be applied to me. That's a great gift. And so that's how you live a genuine Christian life is in response to that truth. So, Father, we thank you for your word here today, and we thank you for the fact that you just cut through all the phoniness, Lord, and you speak to our hearts, and we love you and we praise you. Work this message in our hearts today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.